0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you are looking or watching us. And thank you for being part of the Material Business business Podcast. Uh, My name is Monica Hernandez, and I'm with Infinity Growth. And I have a very special guest today, Jebuneza. And we have had a lot of trouble getting connected and all that, but really, what I wanted, and I'm going to tell all the audience uh, after she makes her introduction, the reasons why I think she is someone that you really want to listen to. Jebunesa, thank you for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Monica, for giving me the opportunity to be here today.
0: It is my pleasure, and it's a pleasure for all the audience. So why don't we start by telling us a little bit about yourself and then just, you know, who are you?
1: Sure. Who are you? I think it sounds very simple question, but to me, it's a very hard question to let the audience know and let you know who I am, because still I'm searching who I am. But, you know, the way we learn who we are or who i am i'm trying to share a little bit about that my name is dr jabunesa chapula and from my name you can hear and you can understand that this name it's not from Um, here I mean not from this land Uh, right now I'm living in 27 territory Calgary Canada but I lived in 26 territory in Saskatoon for the last 10 years and recently I moved here in 27 territory and I born in a South Asian country uh, Bangladesh Um, and I'm a mother with three children and I think I will let you, let the audience know more about me, who I am, later.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much. You are right. It's a very hard question to ask and to answer, actually, because we have never been, you know, taught or guided to really answer that question. Normally, when people ask other person who you are, they start by s- describing what they do instead of who they really are. And that is the reason why I wanted to have you in the show with the Material Business Podcast. Because when I heard your speech in that conference that I was at, I felt your passion and it was so evident to me that you have so much to share. And it's very important for everyone to start thinking about How do we define ourselves? And that's part of the discussion we're gonna have today. So again, thank you for being here. I'm gonna start by the first question because you have navigated so many different, you know, challenges and opportunities, and that is shaping the person that you are. But like you said in the introduction, you're from Bangladesh, you started in Norway, now you're in Canada, you have moved across many different countries, cross-cultural experiences. How all those experiences are shaping or making the person rediscover itself? like how do you think this is this is helping you be the person you are now?
1: Thank you so much, Monica, for giving me this opportunity to discuss with the audience that who I am. And the question you asked me, actually, that's a very broad question, but I will try my best to give a short answer of this um, big question. So, well, um, I born and brought up in Bangladesh and uh, left my home country at the age of 23 as a single Muslim woman to pursue my higher studies. And later I traveled around the world for higher studies in Sweden, Norway. Um, I earned double masters from Sweden and Norway. I studied in sociology, social work, gender and development. I got married in Norway and later my two daughters born in New York, New Jersey, while I was unsure about Canadian immigration. Around 2010, immigration brought me here in Toronto, Canada for the first time along with my small family Um, and I was struggling to find a home and simultaneously find a professional job in Saskatoon and became a mother of my third daughter in Saskatoon around 2018 while I was completing my doctoral studies. Um, In the middle of my dissertation writing, I moved to Calgary, Canada only three years ago during first wave of pandemic era, that is 2020. As you can hear from my story, that I'm a transnational person. And throughout my life, I lived with my colonial experiences and education, but I started to receive decolonial anti-racist education through community activities in Saskatoon and later, formally during my doctoral studies at the University of Saskatchewan. That's from 2014 to uh, 2022, actually. Uh, when i defended and my decolonial anti-racist education and indigenous land-based education helped me to understand who i am in this colonial stolen indigenous land and this education gave me the courage to say out loud that i came from one colonial land to another colonial land and i struggled so much to understand who i am here in this land and who i am as a person, as a newcomer, I was uh, also named as visible minority. I mean, apart from newcomer, I I learned that I have another name, and that's called visible minority. Though I was wondered um, why not visible majority. Um, and also, my name is Bangladeshi hyphen Canadian, right? So I have an hyphenated identity and I was also curious to know that which part of the hyphen that I should take is it Bangladeshi or the Canadian or Canadian and then Bangladeshi, you know, that kind of identity that I was navigating. And I carried um, my name from my birth. That is uh, a Muslim woman, or a girl or a woman, uh, fair complexion women, good looking women, middle class women, brainless women who could not go to medical school, etc. Right. So you see, so many layers of our identities and it took me many years to understand that all my identities are socially constructed and i had no choice um without knowing the meaning of my name Sometimes i you know sometimes i embraced sometimes i rejected um silently i rejected right but did not dare to express So I'm really excited and feeling happy that I got an opportunity to talk about it. So through my decolonial research and long-term education, I realized that my main goal was to reflect upon formal and informal decolonial processes of learning, unlearning, and relearning through informal community activities community building and building relationships with the unknown cross-cultural communities um i thought i left my colonial life in bangladesh later i realized that uh, when i was living in sweden norway us those those countries uh, have also colonial history right so um, so, I, though I thought that I left the colonial country, Bangladesh, Sweden, Norway, and U.S., but the reality is that I started my le- new life also in a colonial country, that is Canada. Um, I started to see that my thoughts remained colonized, too. I started to recognize that my name, my languages, daily life activities, all are colonized. So as a woman, my body is colonized. The religions with which I am most familiar are colonized. Uh, And social systems are colonized. Mm -hmm. Negotiating with aggressive colonial models of power in order to find my own decolonial space to grow and understand my responsibilities as a racialized settler woman can be exhausting. It is exhausting, actually. Uh, Because I dream of gifting my children with a decolonial, anti-racist, and just society, and I started to cross the uh, complicit boundaries I had internalized growing up in order to appreciate the decolonial, anti-racist sources of gentle power available through indigenous teachings and in cross-cultural shared spaces.
0: That's so interesting, and it is, I guess, for many of the the people that are hearing this podcast and then are watching us. Most, a lot of them, are not like have moved across countries, so they also have that experience. And I'm sure a lot of the them will, you know, empathize and, and understand your words and how you are describing. Uh, You thought you left something behind, but actually everywhere that you are going, it's kind of following you because it's like a social norm. So there have been different challenges, I guess. Um, And then you mentioned it uh, from Bangladesh, but then your religion um, and you are a community leader. So in that journey, all those challenges, can you tell us, like one of those moments that was uh, very challenging and then how that influenced your understanding of your identity. Maybe perhaps, I'm I'm sure there is many of them, but maybe one of them that you recall uh, that made you realize that aha moment uh, and then made that shift uh, on who you are.
1: Yeah, I think um it's a hard one. <laughs> and when we were having an informal conversation with each other, dear audience, I shared with Monica that um I have an interreligious marriage. So interreligious marriage means um I as I told you before that I'm from Muslim community and my partner he came from Hindu community. So back home, Hindu and uh Muslim union, it's uh, not being accepted. And it has a long history, actually, if those who know a little bit about India, um, you might know a little bit um, the the colonial history around Hindu and Muslim people. Um, and that's that's very difficult story. Um, but but uh, I, I don't think I'm going to touch a lot about that history, but w- only one thing I can tell you that my life, it's a legacy of that colonial history. Um, and Bangladesh uh, is a Muslim country. I, I mean, we, we call it like that. Um, so majority people are from um, Muslim community and the minority religions are Hindu Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, uh, and also indigenous people—they are all considered as minority uh, faith group of people in Bangladesh. So, so, so that's the that's the situation, and that's the um, so that's the situation in Bangladesh and the background information about Bangladesh that I can share with you. So, I born in a Muslim family. That means I grew up as a majority. Uh, person and with all those privileges right and as a um, insider of that majority uh, faith group um, honestly I didn't have much exposure about uh, the minority faith group of people that what they uh, went through or still they have been going through so I'm aware of my privilege but my uh, long-term education um, about sociology, social work, gender and development, and my decolonial and anti-racist education, it made me aware uh, of my privileges, and I, I can see that there are a lot of injustices around uh, minority faith group of people um, in, in, in South Asia. Actually, it's not only in Bangladesh, like Bangladesh, Pakistan um india those countries they have been dealing with all those um historical consequences till today so um so i grew up as a majority uh in bangladesh but when i came here in canada i realized that um i am a minority Muslim women here, but again, because of my interreligious marriage, I realized that I'm the minority of the minority, and I I, I had to deal with a lot of um, social stigma. So the I'm a stigma fighter, and especially around Bangladeshi Canadian Muslim communities, because uh, we were ostracized and stigmatized, and our children were not being accepted by the Um, Bangladeshi Canadian Muslim communities mostly Uh, so but it took me many years to understand um, that why why even here in Canada that I had to face all those and I realized that it's it's nothing but um, the reason is colonized mindset and um, um, and also at some point I started to learn that these are all socially constructed And I challenged the Islamic dogma through my community building activities, anti-racist and uh, decolonial education and feminist education. Yeah. Um and all this education and all this um um social justice activism made me who I am today.
0: That's amazing. So it's you're sharing a whole journey of resilience and strength. And um, that desire of not only you know raise your voice, but actually finding inside why are you feeling this way, and how can you do that? Uh, how can you can you feel that this is a place or this is a, an area where you can you know become what you want? So. When we were talking before, you mentioned that once you started doing your studies and then going into your activities, you were becoming the subject of your research. So the research became you and you became your research and then you included all that. Is that a fair statement to say that through getting all that knowledge, you were shaping the person who you are today? Um,
1: yeah, of course, of course. Um, um, when I started my decolonial, anti-racist, um, uh, feminist journey or my education, I at some point I learned that decolonization, it is a lifelong journey and decolonization teaches us to learn about you know to unlearn and relearn right but how i was i i was always questioning this how and how does it look like i mean decolonization how does it look like and at at some point i realized that if i cannot deconstruct myself and if i cannot decolonize myself myself then there is no point of learning about decolonization right um, before we start to decolonize our research our academia or decolonizing our system we need to decolonize our you know first and and that gave me so much food for thought and that gave me so much pressure to understand who i am and during my entire doctoral journey, it was, a, um, it was a long journey, actually, because I'm a mother with three children, and uh, my partner, he was also studying at the university at the time. And um, um, as a newcomer, we were struggling with the uh, new land people, you know, and, and also there was poverty. I must uh, mention this poverty, and uh, I couldn't pursue my previous um, degrees and my work experiences that I brought from around the world, right? So all together. It was it was a very very challenging time that we were passing together. So at that moment, it was hard to take this responsibility to deconstruct myself first and to decolonize myself first. But um, but I I was very adamant to understand who I am and and the intersections of my identities and also i was very um, serious to um, decolonize my mind and my understanding and my entire process of um, socialization or entire process of my um, making myself right so, um my vocal commitment to understanding and learning more about anti-racist and decolonial feminist frameworks um, are grounded in the intersectionalities of class, race, gender, and religion in cross-cultural communities. Um, therefore, I tried to find and create informal safe spaces for dialogue on anti-racism to learn about. Uh, Indigenous histories, racial injustices, and the need for decolonial gender justice in navigating the challenges facing newcomers. Um, And safe space um, supports uh, such as community radio uh, conversations, community gardening, and transnational cultural activities permit people to express their candid opinions and Um, impressions, critical thoughts, and attitudes without fear of being ridiculed and attacked. So a safe space can be as small as uh, between two people or expanded to include larger groups um, gathered according to people's interests, right? So at some point, I realized that my lived experiences and daily challenges against all the isms maybe you are thinking what are these isms so here are these isms colonialism capitalism neoliberalism racism imperialism sexism classism fundamentalism ageism ableism etc right so these are these all needs to be discussed And I learned that critical anti-racist education and intersectional or transnational feminist um, education can theorize or give it an academic meaning to this um, experiential learnings of racialized women. So therefore, I chose to use the relational autoethnography. Um, It's a qualitative research method, and it helped me to give a voice to my life struggle and the challenge that I was navigating. Um, And uh, my aim was to give voices also other racialized women, those who couldn't express like me, or those who couldn't, um, those who couldn't make their um, life as a research or those who couldn't make their research as their life,
0: I would Mm. say. That's amazing. So you found a way of helping others while helping you was kind of the way of as a community help each other and then that helped um, that helped you as much as it helped them. So congratulations! It's a lot of courage that takes to because, like you said it before, you were you know like taking that flag and then carrying it. and and making it happen Uh, you didn't wait for anyone to make it for you you decide that it is it is for me to do and then i'll take it to where it needs to be going so very very interesting and a lot of resilience that comes out of your words we are almost at the end of the episode and at this point maybe what i will ask is what will you say to all those, you know, women or people that feel that they are uh, in a position that is not favorable or that perhaps newcomers or women that are in certain groups, ethnic groups, or someone that is in that edge of the verge and then as you felt at that time, some years ago, what would you say to them now that you have all this knowledge?
1: Um, I think I would say that it's not easy to be vulnerable in front of public. So my education gave me the power to choose. My education gave me the power to understand who I am here in this land as a newcomer and what is my responsibility to this indigenous land and to this people. And repeatedly, you will hear that I'm talking about the uh, land and and also I'm talking about uh, building the relationship with indigenous knowledge or people and the newcomer because many people still don't understand that, why it is important to come under this umbrella of indigenous worldview. Because indigenous worldview um, and knowledge teaches us an inclusive and holistic um, approach, right? And it's, it's very empowering. And what I learned from indigenous elders and indigenous um, scholars and educators that land is our identity. The struggle that I was sharing from the beginning, um, I I think I found my answer and also I found my um, non-discriminatory identity. So um, if we can be an ally with indigenous worldview or knowledge as a newcomer, we all will be benefited because land doesn't discriminate anyone. We need to learn how to respect the land. The way we treat our body, we need to treat the land very gently, right? Um, and also indigenous worldview and, and respecting land, uh, water, rocks, fire, these are, these are all for us. It's not only for a certain group of racial group of people right mm-hmm. so this is this is what i have learned from my own life journey and from my research journey from my academic journey from if i start to talk about from bangladesh sweden norway us um i didn't until until 2014 2000 actually 2017 i didn't receive decolonial education those were very colonial education that i was receiving and where we did not get the opportunity to talk about indigenous worldview. We didn't talk about um, racial justice or social justice, right? So it's a new, I would say that it's new for me, uh, the way I started to embrace this knowledge and I started to apply that in my daily life um, and in my everyday practice. That is that is something new in my life. And that's very transformative knowledge that I have received. And it helped me to understand who I am today.
0: That's so powerful. And it is, you know, I, I had someone in the podcast before that came and said something like, we need to s- stop doing things super complicated and we need to go back to basic And basics are, you know, our relationships with earth and then with each other and then understanding how our decisions every day, like you said, impact, how is this relationship with the land and then with each other and how that is going to help us grow or in the other side, diminish uh, the growth. So very very um, interesting
1: and, and monica i think i would like to add a little bit more here um th- like um i have seen uh my mom's generation my sister's generation and my generation that still women's reproductive labors and community building efforts are invisible mm-hmm. unrecognized undermined underappreciated and devalued right Um, Therefore, actually, uh, at some point of my doctoral journey, I wanted to be an advocate of women's community building and, uh, you know, raising family, taking care of children and taking care of language, culture, heritage, all these important aspects, you know, of this kind of um, informal work are... Uh, demonstrating the importance of engaging with unpaid informal learning spaces and Mm -hmm. the cultivation of mutual care work that often goes in vain and devalued. Right. So this is also my life learning. So as a mother, I faced all those challenges uh, because when I came here with the Swedish and Norwegian degree, so my my European Social Work degree was being devalued by Canada. Right. So I was a homestead mom at the beginning, like almost like around five years. I stayed home. I couldn't pursue my career and I couldn't. I didn't have childcare support at all um so during that time all this realization came into my mind that how important work that women are doing you know for um i mean by raising children and also um by doing all the community activities so like the community activities women are planning women are cooking women are you know Um, outreaching women are inviting the people to come together to put together your effort to why i mean during that time i started to ask this question actually that why women are doing it and why all these invisible labor are not being valued because just imagine a world that um the community that we live in there is no women just imagine women do not sing women do not dance women do not take care of the language women do not take care of the culture women do not raise a child women do not um uh do all other <laughs> reproductive activities just imagine that world how does that world look like right so i was like at some point i was really angry it's it's like outrage inside of my mind and body it was happening so out of that um rage actually I took a stand to be vocal you know mm-hmm. to talk about all the all those intersections of life and also I really wanted to give a voice to all those underappreciated labor that women are investing each and every second every minute right in in their everyday life and also in social life, also in their professional life.
0: Absolutely. And that's something that we take very serious. And that's pretty much the main reason of the Material Business Podcast is to bring that voice to people that have so many interesting things to say and we feel they need to be, you know, heard by so many others. Vanessa, thank you so much for being here with us uh, in in this podcast. Um, but most most like I'm I gonna go further than just thanking you for your time today, which is very valuable. But thank you for being the person you are. Thank you for bringing those voices to those women, to those people immigrated that immigrated to a new land. Uh, because you and I, we know what it's like, and you and I want a better future for the children, for your daughters, for my child, and for everyone that is coming behind. I think we spoke uh, about this before, and as it doesn't have to be that hard. So, from for, if anyone, everyone that is listening to this episode, uh, ask themselves the the question that you asked like how would a, a world without women look like it really puts you to think and then to value and to respect the work that we do thank you so much for being with us today
1: Monica I appreciate your positionality and your um, informal work that you are also doing right you are Uh, amplifying uh, uh, voices of women like me right so this is also uh, I mean uh, my advocacy piece right what I'm saying that like when I was involved with community radio activities last 10 years in Saskatoon and also back home in Bangladesh as a professional broadcaster I used to work with Bangladesh television and radio so I as a woman I truly hear your voice too and also, I would say that you are the light of our society. And women like you, those who pet on our back, like Jebunessa's back, and there are millions of Jebunessa in this world. Jebunessa is not the only one, right? So we need more Monica too, that those who will come and pet on our back and who, those who will amplify our unheard voices. And and um, I would say that I'm very fortunate and, and very privileged that, i i had this kind of women around me but but it was not available all the time and it was not ready made i had to create all those relationships so i would say that as a woman it is also our responsibility to build this kind of uh, therapeutic relationship and and the women were um, present in life in my life they helped me to grow as a community activist they helped me to grow as a mother, you know, if we give birth, that doesn't mean that I'm a mother. We need to learn how to be a mother, right? Mm-hmm. So these I mean I have learned all this from very special women from my community. So I became stigma fighter and I fight I fight for ethnic artists' rights. Uh last but not the least that I helped me to be a decolonial anti racist feminist educator and researcher today. Right. So I I I have received all these qualities and all this knowledge from women like you, from our community. So community is my oxygen. And I would say that uh, community has agency and we all should learn how to engage ourselves with the community activities to to empower ourselves.
0: Thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Very kind words. I take it with uh, lots of love and I know that you mean it. So Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for your time to the audience. We'll see you in in the next episode and stay tuned and we'll put um, all the links uh, from the articles that you have uh written great, and all that
1: great. yes yes before we i think can i take one more minute so for, sure. for my audience i would like to share the name of this book reconciliation in practice across cultural perspective it is edited by dr ranjan Dato. so in this book i wrote a book chapter um Um, Reconciliation Through Transnational Literacies, and Immigrant Women's Transformative Learning Journey. So um, uh, I will share these informations with you in the email. I will appreciate if you can share. And here is one more book I would like to show to my audience. It's uh, Indigenous Reconciliation and Decolonization, Narratives of Social Justice and Community Engagement, um, this book also edited by Dr. Ranjun Duttu and I'm very proud to say that Dr. Ranjun Duttu, he is my partner. Um, we, both of us, we graduated from the University of Saskatchewan at a time. You know, during this hard life and hard struggle, uh, both of us, we finished our PhD from the same university. So in this book also, I wrote one book chapter, um, Building Bridges Among Indigenous and Immigrant Communities, a Visible Minority Immigrant Women's Journey. So this is second one. And the third one is a recent book. It came out just three weeks ago. So this is another book, uh, Decolonization in Practice, Reflective Learning from Cross-Cultural Perspectives, edited by Dr. Ranjan Dr. again. So in this book, I wrote a recent um, book chapter. It came out from my doctoral research too. Learning the importance of indigenous meaning of land acknowledgement. A racialized color settler women's decolonial reflection that is my recent work so the reason i'm sharing all these books i would say that you know please make some time to read i mean um like one hour conversation it's, it's it's not enough to mm-hmm. share all the wisdom or all the knowledge that we, we do hold. Um, and um, if you can, please try to check out these books. And also, if you Google me, you will find more social activism um, thoughts and more ways of doing it. And the reason I'm um, telling this to my audience because without without engaging myself with the community i wouldn't be able to who i am today um now you are maybe you are hearing a success story but it's a it's more than 20 years journey that um, i have shared today and the work i have been doing it's uh, it's my lifelong work that i am sharing with you and the reason i'm sharing because at the beginning um I was, I was almost dead, you know, dead means I didn't have that enthusiasm to move forward. I was that level of frustrated in my life. But slowly, all this um, empowering education helped me to wake up. So it takes, it takes time to wake up. It take it takes time to pet each other. It takes time to shared the story the way i'm sharing my story today i was not like that even like 5 years ago yeah mm-hmm. i i cried a lot i my pillows were soaked <laughs> so those were like maybe t- 15 years ago or 10 years ago that story was like that but we we women have very similar emotion and feeling to take care of this world why do we cry because we we do not see the hope and we do not find the ways to take care of our art, our land, our water, our children, our relationships all around. Right. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity, Monica, today. And thanks, my audience, those who have heard me today.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. We'll put all those links in the in the um, down below and uh, we'll see each other in the next episode. Thank you so much. Thank you.